Happy Snowmageddon 2019. How are you doing this morning? Yes, we are here. Good morning and welcome. I want to say good morning to several different groups this morning as we're kicking off. First of all, to our friends out in Union. Burlington, let's say hi to Union right now. What's up, Union? Pumped to have our brand new campus pastor, Gary Clark, in the house out there. So Union, good morning. It's great to be live with you this morning. Then I want to say good morning to many of you who right now you're watching this online. Nice pajamas, by the way. It's a good look. And I wish it was this kind of thing where it was like a virtual thing where I could just kind of reach out and grab a bite of your bagel. I'd do that if I, if I could, but we understand it's dicey out. Maybe you couldn't get out, so man, we're thankful for technology. We can all still be together this morning. So good morning to those of you that are watching online. And then our folks here at Burlington, y'all get a new car, right? Come on, you're here. You get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Wow, that's amazing. But maybe Burlington, you came because you're like, there's a bread and milk truck coming to Kroger about 11. And so you're going to get in there because you're out of milk sandwiches already. And, or maybe you're that dad that's like, that's a huge parking lot. Donuts. And you're out here right now doing some 360s. So whatever. We are glad and pumped to be together. I just want to tell you, Happy New Year. I've not seen you in a little while up here uh, from this role. So Happy New Year. I hope your year is off to a great start. Um, we already in our household have had one major milestone take place. Uh, just a few weeks into 2019. And that is that our oldest son, Casey, just got his learner's permit. Yeah, oh no, it's right. Yeah, you're, you're right. You're reading my mind, brother. Yeah, it's, it is a surreal feeling, if you've never been through this yet, to be your child's passenger. It is a, a very odd feeling. And so, for me, one of my New Year's resolutions is just to live to see 2020. That's one of mine. And if I could recommend you adding a couple resolutions to your list, one would be immediately following the service, go home and bubble wrap your vehicle. And secondly, stay away from all the sidewalks in Boone County. <laughs> but no, he's, he's doing a great job. I'm really proud of him. But one of the things that happened for me is I, the last couple months I was kind of studying for the permit test with him, and now I'm kind of coaching him on the roads. I find myself paying much more attention to what's going on around me. Not that I didn't before, that sounds bad. No, I'm actually paying attention on the road, but I'm noticing drivers. I'm able to look other places I wouldn't normally look. And one of the things that just jumped out to me immediately on the road was the, the plethora and the uniqueness of bumper stickers. And I thought today I would just highlight a few of the ones that I, I seem like I'm seeing on a very regular basis. The first one is this. This is pretty traditional bumper sticker. You see a lot of these, and I didn't want to use a local school from here because I didn't want it to seem like we have favorites or anything, but I've seen a lot of this year's standard, my child is an honor student at, and we're happy for those parents. That's a good thing. I've seen a lot of those, but a couple lights down, I see another parent with a different type of bumper sticker that says this, yeah, that's cool. My kid beat up your honor student. Awesome. And just when I think the little feud is done, I turn a couple streets down, and the honor parent uh, the honor student basically is like, oh yeah, well check this out. My honor student beat up your dumb kid. <laughs> back and forth and back and forth. Um, another kind of bumper sticker I see a lot is this uh, thing here with the stick families. Anybody have these on your car? They're really cute. You know, somebody's proud of their family. That's precious, right? You got mom, dad, and the dog and cat. It's really sweet. You're kind of like, oh. Well, a couple streets over, I then see this. Your stick family was delicious. <laughs> it's just back and forth going on on the roads, man. But probably the most common bumper sticker I see over and over and over again are these little oval-shaped bumper stickers. One that says 
For those of you who don't know, that's amount of miles, which is a marathon. For people who think that's fun, right? 26.2, I'm like, man, that's quite an accomplishment. Sometimes you'll see this, 13.1, which is a half marathon, which, in my opinion, is still quite a major accomplishment. But we're driving a couple days later, and then I see this. This is unusual. 0.0. And at the bottom it says, no, but seriously, good for you. Good for you. Now, just when I thought I'd seen everything, I pulled up on this at a light. (laughs) 26.2. Oreos I can eat in one sitting. Boom. (laughs) Now, I, I show you all these to say this. As I'm seeing this all over the roads in Boone County, it hit me of something that's maybe taking place. It seems like when there's something in your life or in my life that's an area that we really struggle with, or an area where maybe we've not experienced victory or success, the natural propensity for us is to push back at those people who have, with a little bit of a a chip on our shoulder. And I just wonder if that's where you might find yourself now that we're a few weeks into 2019, as you sit here at home this morning online. It's been a few weeks now. January 1st, the ball dropped. Maybe you stood in front of the mirror and said, this is the year. New year, new me. You made a vision board. You know, you've got your resolutions down. You're going to work out every day in 2019. And your resolutions, man, they're specific and pretty extreme. You've said things and written down things like, I will only eat chocolate three times this year. Only three times. You've said, I will never be in alone in a room with bread and pasta. Never. Not once. And a few weeks in, I just, in the spirit of Dr. Phil, want to ask you this question. How's that working for you? (laughs) How's it working for you? Because reality says that this is about the time of year that we start to kind of tank (laughs) a little bit. We get a little discouraged. We get off the rails a little bit and we go, well, maybe next year. (laughs) It was a good run. And you kind of resent your friends who are naturally disciplined Seems like eating right and exercise and health just comes just pretty simple for them. You're starting to kind of get fed up with their well-intentioned but super annoying motivational quotes they spout out to inspire you. They say things like, remember, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. And you're like, yeah, whatever. And fat people are harder to kidnap. Touche. <laughs> but you're starting to lose it. The other day at 10.30 in the morning, you drove all the way to the Taco Bell in Dry Ridge (laughs) in full disguise, and you pull up to the uh, drive-thru, and you're like, yeah, uh, give me uh, three chalupas, a nachos bel grande, and a cheesy roll, uh, and a diet. Now, can I ask a question? When you're behind people at McDonald's, you got the guy ordering like three Big Macs, a large fry, a couple apple pies, and a Diet Coke, what is that? Is the Diet Coke like a magic chaser or something that just like magically erases all the calories? I don't know. But what I will say this morning is I get it. I totally get the struggle, man. This is what I wrote in my journal on New Year's Eve. It's on the screen. My goal for 2019 is to accomplish the goals of 2018, which I really should have done in 2017 because I made a promise in 2016 from what I'd planned back in 2015. Maybe you can relate. I get the struggle. 
Every year, I go, new year, new me. And my wife is so sweet, and she's supportive and tries to help me and hold me accountable. We'll be at like our favorite restaurant, like Frisch's right over here in Burlington on 18. I love Frisch's. I love the tartar sauce. I don't know what's in it, but I want to bathe in it. I love the tartar sauce. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at the menu, the press. You know, my wife's like, Chad, just remember, before you order, big boys make big boys. Thank you, sweetheart. Could you stop talking? We're at Kroger over here, and we're going through the aisles, trying to hang it on the outside where the fruits and vegetables are, and then we have to navigate the snack cake aisle. And my wife's like, bounce your eyes, like there's pornography all around. Bounce your eyes. Bounce your eyes. She's like, remember, don't reach for it, Chad. Remember, little Debbie's make big Chad's. I'm like, all right, I got it. I got it. I've done everything. I've done the whole 30, the whole 70, the whole 90, uh, keto, beach body, whatever, South Beach, all the beaches. Struggled in Weight Watchers a few years ago, which is a great program, by the way. But I got to Weight Watchers because I heard that it was all about scoring points. Like, this is a point system. So, my God, it's like a game. And in most games, usually a high score means success, right? Not in Weight Watchers. (laughs) Weight Watchers is kind of like the game of golf. You want kind of a much lower score. And if you're not familiar with it, they assign different foods, different amount of points. And it's weird because you could eat like a wheelbarrow of broccoli for like three points. Then you eat something else and it like ruins your whole day. We had Tina, this little small group leader we met with once a week. Tina lost 120 pounds back in 87, kept it off still. She's got all types of motivation, drink lots of water. If you run out of points early in the day, just go to bed early. All kinds of great tips. So one day, my wife comes home. She's been working at Hallmark in the mall. And it's like 2 in the afternoon, and I'm home from work upstairs in the bed, shades down, fan on, CPAP machine on, look like a stormtrooper, and I'm sound asleep. And she comes in work, and she's like, Chad, wake up. Are you sick? What's wrong? What are, you, what are you doing home so early? Are you okay? You feel all right? And I went, I'm fine, baby. I'm just out of points. <laughs> <laughs> I get the struggle. Some of us in this room are what I call event dieters. You say, oh, I will be swimsuit ready for that trip to the beach in July. I'm going to get it off by the class reunion in October. It's coming off. I will get in that wedding dress. I will rock those skinny jeans in front of her by the spring and no longer look like a pop can of biscuits. I'm in. I'm doing it. I will look good. I will feel good. I will wear those clothes. And hear me say, there's nothing wrong with those. Those are all good, legitimate goals. But here's what I'm finding out. It seems like often when the goal is simply all about me, it's just not enough to keep most people going. When the goal is simply all about me, it just doesn't seem like it can last for the long haul. So my question is, could it be that we possibly don't have the right motivation? Could it be that there's something far deeper than just looking good and feeling good? And so as we hang out for a few minutes this morning in person or online, I just want to unpack what I would call kind of a different, kind of a deeper kind of why. And I'll put on the screen here, this is what we're going after, an entirely new motivation. We're going to take some time to look at what God says about the importance of our bodies, our physical bodies, and our physical health. And I think really quickly, you're going to see that the body is a big deal in God's economy. And as we do this, we're going to go into the New Testament to a book called 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And these two verses is where we're going to kind of camp out for the morning. This will be kind of our home base, 
kind of our launch pad, verses 19 and 20. Let's look at what it says in verse 19. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor your God with your bodies. Now, before we go any further into that passage, I want to say, as I said earlier, if you struggle with this, I get it too. Every year, every attempt can kind of feel like a really bad rerun. And so I think it's possibly the perfect time for this message as we're hanging out in this How to Grow series here in the month of January. It could be the perfect time for this message on why our physical bodies and our health really, really matter to God. Now, before we dive into this passage, before we go any further, I want to address what I think potentially could be the white elephant in the room this weekend. Me. (laughs) And when I say that, I'm not making fun of myself. What I'm saying is it's human nature. There might be some people in person watching this message or watching online going, hey, Chad, great guy, seems really nice. But you got a guy up on the platform giving a message on the importance of physical health, and he seems like he's one of the heaviest guys in the church. That's a very fair question. So I'm going to speak of that just for a moment. And a little bit about me is that I've struggled weight for years. Man, I've yo-yoed, I've been thin, I've been heavy. This has always been the thorn in my flesh. It's a very visible sin uh, that I struggle with. But last April, I was really convicted, and I've really been trying to attack this since then. I'm down about 55 pounds with about 100 to go, and, and I've gone off the rails from like Thanksgiving to New Year's. I just blew it, but I'm back on the path. And so, man, I don't speak at this this morning as an expert. I don't speak as somebody who's arrived, but I think I can speak into this with some integrity because I'm doing it, and I'm really trying to own this scripture uh, right now. So I want to say that on the front end. I want to also speak to some potential groups watching here online or in person who I think it could be very tempting to tune out this morning. Maybe you're here, and because of genetics or some type of a health challenge, it's hard to lose weight. It's hard to get healthy. And I want to be clear, this message is not a throwing of stones at you with some crazy expectation that's not realistic. But there's some truth you can still grab onto that's super beneficial. Don't tune out. There's maybe another group here this weekend or watching online who, man, God bless you, we're happy for you. You are naturally disciplined from the age of five or six. Your family ate healthy. You created good habits and good patterns with your health and your body, and it works for you. And maybe it's easy to kind of look down on people around you who struggle with health and with weight and a sedentary lifestyle. And what I encourage you is don't do that. Don't do that. I had a buddy that lost like 150 pounds. He used to just be the this big heavy guy that ate whatever wasn't nailed to the floor. And I went to lunch with him after he lost all that weight. And the first thing he said to me morning, he's like, are you getting fried chicken on your salad? And I looked at him and I said, I miss fat Carl. You know, don't, don't be like that. We can lose weight and not become arrogant. But instead, pray for people. Have empathy. Encourage them. And I would bet that even though you're very healthy, you probably still have room to grow unless you're Jesus, (laughs) okay? And so don't tune out today. Some of you are here watching online, and visibly you look very healthy. You're thin, you look pretty vibrant, but maybe your sleep schedule's terrible and you fuel your body with junk. (laughs) And there's another group here who maybe like me, you've just struggled your whole life. You're like, I have been down that path 497 times, Chad, and I'm done. It's just not a reality for me. 
to get to that place in life. To all of you, don't tune out. Stay down in because there's something for you this morning. Here's what's crazy. We have a Bible, friends, that is loaded with spiritual truth. With spiritual truth that helps us confront the physical challenge of daily healthy living. And I can tell you that after almost 47 years in the church, I mean, I was born into the church basically. Grew up in it. My mom played the piano. My dad was a deacon. We were there Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. Um, I think I cut my teeth on the pews. I think the first time I wrote my name was with macaroni and vacation Bible school, you know. Sat through hundreds of Bible studies and conferences and retreats. And I can tell you to this very day, I never, ever sat through one whole worship service where the teaching was on the importance of our physical bodies and our health and what God has to say about it. Never. Now, after those services, we went down to the fellowship hall in the basement and had some good potluck lunches, right? We had mac and cheese and fried chicken. Jesus is awesome, but never a message like this. And so let me share with you where we're kind of headed as we hang out today and we camp out in 1 Corinthians 6. The reality is, you don't need anybody else in your life to point out the problem, right? You don't. You don't need anybody else to go, hey, you're, you're fat. Well, thanks. You're ugly and I can diet. Merry Christmas. You don't need anybody else to say that. You also don't need any more information. You know what you need to do, right? This isn't rocket science or brain surgery. You know that to get healthy, you've got to eat healthy. And you've got to eat less. You know that you need to exercise and get moving. You need to drink more water. You need to meal prep in advance so you can make healthy choices. Get better sleep and lower your stress. You know that you probably should get to the doctor and get a full physical and get a, a baseline of blood work so you can look at important numbers like sugar and cholesterol. You know that you've got to quit making food reward and pain reliever and, and mood lifter. You know that you've got to get more discipline because discipline leads to freedom. You know that you've got to begin to set specific, realistic, small goals and have a very specific plan in place. You know that it's so important to have somebody to hold you accountable or be a part of some type of accountability group. There is nothing new that I can teach you on any of that today. And I've wrestled with that this week because I want you to leave here with some very practical next steps. But what I've also come to learn is that none of that knowledge matters if we don't have the right motivation. We just keep knowing what we need to do, but the knowing never leads to doing <laughs> Because we don't have the right motivation. So we come upon 1 Corinthians 6. I want us to begin here in verse 19. Let's look at this verse one more time. Paul, who's speaking, says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, Paul here is a little bit of background. If you don't know who Paul is, Paul wrote almost all the New Testament, a huge portion of it. And Paul here is writing a letter to a church in a town called Corinth. And Corinth, this group he's writing to, is made up of a group of pretty young, pretty new believers. And these new believers he's writing to had kind of created this false separation between the body and the soul. It's what was kind of known as Greek dualism. And it was kind of a crazy idea. It was this idea that you could totally separate the physical from the spiritual. In other words, you could be incredibly physically unfit and yet spiritually fit 
at the same time. That there wasn't really any reason for the physical and the spiritual to ever intersect. They could be their own separate compartments. And Paul comes along, he's like, hold the phone, man, time out. That's just not true. Paul's saying, time out, you can't separate or divide the two. Who you are physically does matter who you are spiritually. And I just wonder if for many of us, like this church in Corinth here in 1 Corinthians 6, if we've maybe too made a false separation, where we've said, you know what? You can do whatever you want to do physically, and it doesn't really impact who you are spiritually. You can get up this morning early and proclaim a deep love for God, be in the Bible and read and pray and pursue a relationship with Him, walk into this place and have a powerful worship experience, serve in an area of ministry, be radically generous with your financial resources for missions and ministry, and then right after the service, go to Chili's and pound the loaded nachos. (laughs) And then go home this afternoon and watch some football and graze on chips and candy for a few hours. And then wrap up the night with a big, large Papa John's and never leave the couch until you have to get upstairs to go to bed. I hate that part of the night, right? You're like, I gotta go upstairs to bed. We can do all of that as long as we begin each of those meals with that very famous prayer that goes like this. Dear Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. Do you ever get tickled at that kind of prayer? You're with your family and there's like biscuits and gravy and fried chicken and mashed potatoes and a little more gravy and chocolate pie with gravy and you're like, Lord bless this to the nourishment of our bodies. Do you ever wonder what God's thinking in that moment? He's got to be shaking his head going, what? It was easier to turn water into wine, man. Are you serious? <laughs> well, Paul knew this would be a struggle for many. And so here in 1 Corinthians 6, he gives us kind of a spiritual motivation. He unpacks what I would call kind of a theology for the body. And he lays out a really couple great reasons of why as believers we should want to glorify God with our bodies. And the first one we see is this. And that is that taking care of your body is an act of worship. Taking care of your body is an act of worship. Look at verse 19 again. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? He says, your body is a temple. Now I look at that and I go, man, I guess I'm a megachurch right now, you know? Your body is a temple. And let me just say that when a first century Jew speaks about the temple, these are powerful words. Powerful words. Because the image of the temple would have been a very compelling picture image for the people in Paul's day for a couple reasons. Number one, they believed that the temple was the place that was created and designed where you would go to worship and honor God. But the other reason is that they believed also that the temple was the dwelling place of God. That's where God was, that's where God dwelt, that's where God lives. Now, a little side note here. I want to be careful we don't get sideways with this this morning. And be very clear, this whole message, it's not a crazy call to extremes. It's not a call to get all legalistic and weird. Let me be very clear here. God gave us food to enjoy. Okay? Ecclesiastes 9.7, it says, eat your food with gladness. I love that verse. Eat your food with gladness. The creator who gave us over 10,000 taste buds, I can't believe it was his design for us to just gnaw on rice cakes the whole time we're on this earth. It wasn't his plan. Our God, our creator, he gave us hunger. Our God gave us an appetite. And he designed us in a way for that appetite to be 
satisfied. And so it's not as calling upon our life for us to walk around hungry and starving all the time. <clears throat> if you do that, you end up in a really bad mood. In our house, we call that being hangry. Anybody got any hangry people in your house? And when they're hangry, yeah, just stay away from them. It's not good. It's not safe. I think it's why a lot of time when you watch a fashion show and the models, they're like coming and strutting down the catwalk, you know, whatever. They have that kind of angry look on their face and they stop and they strike that pose. I don't think they're trying to look hot or seductive. I think they're just mad because they're hungry. They're just hungry. <laughs> now, I realize it's very easy for us in 2019, it's either at home right now where we're watching or here in person or at Union, to ask a very legitimate question. As we're sitting here, worshiping God together in this worship center, having a worship service, this is a fair question, and that is this. Chad, what does worshiping God and loving God have to do with sitting down at a table to eat a meal? That's a very, very fair question. And what I would tell you is that when we study God throughout history, God on earth, God always had a dwelling place. God always had a dwelling place. When you go back in the Old Testament, we see God give Moses the specifications for the tabernacle. And the tabernacle became the dwelling place of God. You flip over a few more pages and you see God give other specifications to David for the temple in Jerusalem. And at that point, the temple became the dwelling place of God. God dwelt in that temple, in that building. But the Bible says today, he dwells in you. Today he dwells in you. You are the temple. Think about it this way. If you're walking down the street one day and you see a bunch of thugs vandalizing any church, any house of worship, I don't care what the denomination is, you'd be livid. <laughs> you would try to get them to stop. You'd see them over there spray painting graffiti on the side of the church, throwing big rocks through the stained glass windows, kicking down doors. You'd be like, knock it off. You'd call the police. You'd be livid. And yet you and I... We vandalize a temple all the time. Your body, by what you put in it, with your sleep schedule, with maybe a very sedentary lifestyle. Paul's saying you're vandalizing the temple of God when you don't take care of your body. And so Paul, man, he's fired up here in 1 Corinthians. He's saying, time out, guys. This is God's house, not a frat house. <laughs> this is God's house. Quit trashing it. He lives in you. He lives in the 41005. He lives in the 41042. This is his apartment. This is his crib. This is where he lives. Stop. I was thinking this week that a great sign we ought to put above our, our kitchen table or in our dining room where we share meals would be this right here. Worship service is held here three times daily. See, we don't think of that as a worship service. We think a worship service is coming into one of these rooms, standing and going, we believe in God the Father, which that's a form of worship. But the Bible's saying there's also another worship service every time you sit down to the dinner table. It's a worship service. And we worship God also by taking care of our bodies. And Paul's not done. There's another reason he lays out for wanting to glorify God with our bodies, and it's this. And that is that God owns it, and he loans it. God owns it, and he loans it. Look what Paul says here again in verse 19. He says, you are not your own. You are not your own. 
Now let's just get honest. That right there, that is one of the most radical thoughts in the New Testament. <laughs> and it's also, <laughs> excuse me, I'm not sure what that was. <laughs> that is one of the most radical thoughts in the New Testament. But it's also one of the most culturally unacceptable thoughts in America today, right? If we just get honest. Because if there's anything our culture holds dear, it's our rights to our bodies. You keep your laws off my body. If it's two consenting adults, no one has any right to tell them what they can and can't do. And Paul goes, if you're a Christ follower, not true. It's just not true. Paul's saying, your body does not belong to you. In fact, it was bought at the highest price possible. And our only proper response as believers is to offer it completely back up to him. To him. God owns your bod. (laughs) And I'm telling you, those are fighting words in America. It's my body, I'll do what I want to. And God says, no, you won't. Because it doesn't belong to you. I just loaned it to you. It's not yours because you didn't create it. (laughs) God owns it, and he loans it. Last summer, our summer vacation took place down in Savannah, Georgia. We'd never been before. We caught some cheap flights, and we went down there and kind of based in Savannah and spent a couple of days over at Tybee Island, Hilton Head. It was just a great trip. But a very odd thing happened when we flew into Savannah. I went up to the dollar rental car stand to get our car, and the guy looked at me and said something I'd never heard in my life. He said, sir, I'm sorry, we're completely out of cars. What? I'm sorry, we're out of cars. And he went on to explain they had had horrible thunderstorms come through earlier in the day. So all these flights had been canceled or pushed back and nobody was returning cars. If you travel with kids, you know, about that point, they like hate each other, they're fighting. You're like, let's just go home. You know, it's not good. And you're like, ah. Oh. He said, but sir, the first car that comes in, I don't care if it's way more expensive than what you reserve, it's yours for the same price. All right. So finally he said, we have a car, here's the keys, it's in spot 37, whatever. We walk out to the spot... And we walk up on a 2018 Candy Apple Reg Red Dodge Charger Scat Pack. V8 engine, 485 horsepower. My wife goes, you're a liar. Something's up. You're lying. This is a made-up story, Chad. This, I can't believe you. What does this cost? I'm like, I'm telling the truth, you know. This thing was faster than fast, louder than loud. So my oldest son, Casey, who was 15 and not driving at the time, he's like, Dad, can I just post something on Instagram, like, sitting behind the wheel, revving the engine? I'm like, absolutely, man. I was 15 once, you know. As you see this video of him, this is when we first got the car. Watch my wife, who quickly walks way behind the car to get as far away from the scene as possible. She's thoroughly embarrassed by all of us and thinks this is so stupid, which is we had, like, a station wagon or something. And my youngest son, Cameron, is in the back seat, nervously rocking, holding his ears. All right? This is my son, Casey, as soon as we landed the car. Now, I will confess, I love that car just as much as he did, man. And that week, man, I had a lot of fun. I was taking speed bumps at like 60, trying to get a little bit of air, a little hang time. Remember Dukes of Hazard when they took the car, you know, going over, and it would stop, and Waylon Jennings would narrate something. Better hurry back, you don't know what the Duke boy's going to get into. You know, I'm like, I want to get that kind of hang time, you know. 
hitting speed bumps at 60. I'm peeling out of stoplights in grocery store parking lots. I'm looking for like any little patch of dirt and gravel I can kick up some dust. The air condition was on full blast from the moment we got there to the moment we turned it in. Just full blast. Kids are eating melting ice cream cones in the backseat, dripping stuff all over the backseat. It's all good, you know? Forgetting, dude, this is a rental. <laughs> Chad, this car doesn't belong to you, man. You sign an agreement that said, I commit and agree to take care of the super valuable, high-performance vehicle. Chad, this is not your ride. <laughs> but my mindset was, this is my car. I paid for it. As long as I'm on this trip, I'll drive it however I want. And I just wonder if that's our attitude with how we take care of our bodies. This is mine for this trip I'm on called life. And for however long I'm on this trip, I'll drive it however I want. Forgetting he paid for it. And it's really a loner. <laughs> I'll drive it however I want. And so we spend our time on this earth. We put cheap fuel in it. We don't really perform consistent maintenance, you know. Uh, we're taking it over speed bumps. We're, we're driving it hard. We're not taking care of it. We drive it however we want, ignoring all the warning lights on the dash. When the reality is God owns it, and he loans it. You see, he's the owner, and you're the manager. <laughs> Those are the biblical roles. And the Bible says one day we're going to stand before God, and he's going to look you in the eyes, and he's going to ask a couple questions. He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the health that you borrowed from me? Verses 19 and 20 says this. says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Last April, when I began this journey that I'm on, and I have a long way to go, creating some new normals, and it's hard, that's the verse that just shook me to the core. Because it hit me before God, for some reason, finally, that my body doesn't belong to me. And so for Chad Cadell, it's not okay that I'm okay with how I look. It's not about that. It's not about that I'm okay with how I look. I'm in my 40s. I got a beautiful wife. I'm not out having to try to land somebody in a bar or get a girlfriend. I don't care about fashion. I'm okay with how I look. It's all good. I'm okay with my energy level. I'm okay being the Chris Farley, Kevin James, King of Queens guy at the parties. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with how I feel. And Paul's saying, Chad, it's really not about if you're okay with it. It's about, is God okay with what's going on? You see, we, we tend to justify and we go, well, it could be worse when God's saying, yeah, and it could be better. It could be better. And it all comes down to entirely new motivation. And as we kind of come to the tail in here, I'd wrap it up like this. And that's we need to treat our bodies as instruments, not ornaments. We need to begin to see our bodies and treat our bodies as instruments, not ornaments. Isn't that how the world looks at our bodies? We look at the body as an ornament. We go, look at me. See me. Pay attention to me. Do you like it? We have people that get up at 5 a.m. and do their hair and put makeup on so they can lay in the bed and take a selfie. It looks like they wake up like that. And you're like, that's ridiculous. You're waking up with horrible breath and matted hair. That's not real. But we go, do you like it? Like it, like it and approve. Pay attention to me. But the biblical worldview is saying, that's not what you're supposed to be about. We're supposed to be about creating instruments. These instruments that are bodies that are created and offered up to God for impact and life change in the lives of other people where we live and where we work and where we play. And Romans 12, 1 says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy, and check out this word, pleasing to God. And it says, this is your true and proper worship. So you see, friends, it's not about cellulite and love handles. (laughs) It's just not. It's something so much bigger than if you like what you see when you look in the mirror. And it's not even about whether your spouse approves of your shape or not. It's all about the moment that we offer our bodies up to God, regardless of whatever shape they're in right now. In that moment, they become pleasing to him because they're offered to him. Amen? Yes. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that my holiness and my acceptance doesn't rest on the shape of my body. Thank you, God. We're freed from that. We're set free from that. Our acceptance before God is not based on the shape of our body, but it's instead totally based on the acceptable sacrifice of Jesus' broken and bruised body. <laughs> and that's the glory of being a Christ follower. <laughs> that's what's awesome is you and I, we get to live with an entirely different kind of motivation because we're instruments, not ornaments. Not something to just be around here for 70, 80 years for display and approval. Think about this with me. On a typical weekend here, between Thursday night service and Sunday night service, we have over 3,000 people physically who come through this place, and many more that watch messages online. Imagine that 3,000 people hear this message, decide to take some type of healthy next step to honor God more with their bodies, and on average, it added one year to everybody's lifespan. Probably way more than that, but just even if this added one year, those next steps added one year to everybody's lifespan in this place. That means that this weekend, right now, we could create over 3,000 more years of ministry. (laughs) That gives me chills. We could right now create 3,000 plus more years of ministry and service to God's kingdom. One more year to be on your knees praying for people a little bit longer. One more year to serve and invest in your neighbor. One more year to go and pour your life into the needy and to the poor in our community. One more year to sit down over coffee and tell your family and your friends about the hope that's only found in the person of Jesus. Just a little bit more. At least one more year. 3,000 plus years of impact and ministry and service. See, this whole thing has huge eternal implications. And all this stuff in the series, all this talk about habits and even today in the body, it's really not about us. It's all about him. It's about him. Now for me, my personal challenge after years of very dysfunctional patterns in physical health, uh, failed attempts, I finally had to confront some uh, core issues in my life that I just kept kind of leaving alone. And through some counseling and some other things, what I realized is there were places I was running to instead of running to God. I was running to food instead of running to God. I was running to food. I was running to the approval of other people. I was running to accomplishments. I was running to my very own limited willpower. But food, for me at least, being the biggest. These things that I would run to because it felt like a very safe, very comfortable place to go cope. Food was mine. Yours might be something different. For me... I went to food to cope. I went to food when I was battling some depression. Instead of running to God, I would run to food when I felt like a failure. Instead of running to God, I would run to food when I just had this need for significance. 
I would run to food when I felt like a failure or I just felt like I was in this pit of loneliness. I would go to that safe place to cope. And what's weird is that even though I was going to what I thought was a safe place to cope, that safe place was slowly killing me. It was killing me. I kept running to the same stuff even though that stuff totally marked my destruction. Food felt safe even though it was destroying me. Both our boys we adopted at birth. My youngest son Cameron who, thank the Lord, is not driving yet. When he was born in Owensboro, Kentucky, his birth mother, before we left the hospital, put this little baby in his crib. This is Cameron when he was like five. And uh, Cameron was attached to this thing for years. It never left his side. It was his shadow. He loved it, and he loved it to death. He came up with a very creative name for it. He called it Baby. <laughs> He's a very creative child, I know. That thing went with us everywhere. And I can tell you countless stories of when we would be eating somewhere, like on vacation, and we got like an hour and a half down the road. We didn't get Baby. <laughs> and we'd drive all the way back, and it would fall behind a booth. Or we'd be up at like Hershey, Pennsylvania, and it fell behind the bed in the hotel, and they had to mail it back. And we're like, thank God we got it back. He loved this thing to death to the point where it didn't have any clothes. It was missing an eye. It had all these like mystery stains on it. His arm had fallen off. It was the gnarliest looking thing ever. It was the kind of thing where when he would go to other kids' houses for like a play date, they had out their stuffed animals, their dolls. All their dolls would come to life and make fun of his. It was like that gross, you know? Uh, if it was a car, it would have been like a rusted out 1981 Buick LeSabre. This is gross, but he loved that thing. And finally we said, Cameron, you've got to let us have it for a bit so we can clean it up. Let us have it for a day. We'll sew an eye back on, get some clothes on so he's not naked, put his arm back on, clean him up. And he was like, no, mm-mm, no, never. I mean, he's just clutching. He wouldn't let it go. So finally one day he agreed. He's like, I'll do it. Parenting when? My wife goes to get it and he's like, I can't do it. I'm not doing it. No. My beautiful wife got down on one knee, looked him in the eyes, and she said, Cameron, listen, I can't fix it until you let go. Buddy, I can't fix it until you let go. And in that moment, as even those years later, I was struggling with this stuff personally. It was like God grabbed me by the shirt and he said, Chad, do you hear that? It's the same for you, big guy. I, I can't fix it until you let go. can't fix it until you let go. And so I, what I ask you this weekend as a family here is, what are you holding on to? And God's whispering to you, let me have it. Let me have it. In my story, for 46 years, I ran to food instead of running to God. Your story may look different, but my question is, what are you running to instead of running to God? And God's saying, I love you, and I can't fix it until you let me have it. This weekend, will you let him have it? Will you let him have it? 